0: Hello, I'm Chris Kreitcho, and this is the new Rustation Podcast, a 15-20 to 20 minute show about learning the Rust programming language. This is Episode 5, Allocate It Where? First up, some news. Rust 1.4 came out. Hooray! A few highlights. Uh, one, of interest to people learning the language right out the gate, there's a new chapter in the book on error handling. This is, of course, a great compliment to episode three of this show, but in general, it's just a great resource. I read through it all shortly after it came out and found it very illuminating and very helpful as I helped a friend chase down a problem. Second, as of this release, there is full Microsoft Visual C support for 64-bit builds. So if you're building... MSVC components, if you're building C or C, you can now link against things built with Microsoft Standard Compiler as opposed to the MinGW GCC compiler. That's a big deal. It means Rust is a viable target for cross platform development in a way that it wasn't as of two weeks ago. Again, this is on the stable channel, not just beta testing. That's huge. There was one language change. Uh, Frankly, the details of that change are still a little bit beyond me. Uh, Some fairly hairy semantic things to get the compiler to know what's going on in certain cases where it didn't before. I'll link it in the show notes. In this case, it ends up making some changes that technically break backwards compatibility, but as usual, we have what we might call functionally semantically versioned change. Thrust Core Team was able to run the compiler against... Every single package that exists on crates.io, so the actual impact to the community is as if there wasn't a breaking change. Given the limitations of working with a programming language, as opposed to, say, a library or a framework, I think that's excellent. And one other fun tidbit, I actually contributed slightly to this release. Slightly, and it wasn't very important. I was just cleaning up a few things in the builds tooling around their documentation, but still, it's fun to be able to have your name listed in the release notes for a major programming language. As I've said before, you should jump in and contribute. Now, into our discussion for the day. Last time, we were talking about functions in Rust, and in particular, we were talking about using functions as arguments to other functions. I had originally intended to discuss returning functions from functions as well, but I needed to take some time to discuss both type systems in general and Rust's type system in particular as preparation for the discussion of Rust's functions. As such, we didn't get to talking about returning functions, so today we'll pick back up and jump in with the discussion about that very point, and that in turn will lead us into an initial discussion of the stack, the heap, and why we need to care about the difference between the two, specifically when dealing with functions. Note that I am going to assume everything from last week's episode as a baseline here. So let's dive in and see how to return functions from other functions. As you might expect, both normal functions and closures can be returned from any given function. And the definition of each in terms of syntax is basically the same. Of course, you have the usual variations in syntax between how you define those functions, but... The syntax for returning them from another function is identical. Remember, functions and closures both just implement the same underlying traits. Now, if you've done this sort of thing in other languages where you spell out the types, whether that's Haskell or Swift or something else, you'd expect that the return type would just be a function specification, just like when you define a function as an argument. And you'd be almost right. But if you try that in Rust, you'll get a compiler error. It will tell you that the types are mismatched, and part of that error will point to the lifetime of the object created. It'll say you need a static lifetime. We'll come back to this idea of lifetimes fairly soon, by which I mean after I get a better handle on them. This is a thing which I understand in principle somewhat, but have not gotten a good handle on dealing with in practice. So once I do, we'll talk about it. If you start chasing down the normal course of how you would fix lifetime issues in other contexts when trying to return functions, though, you'll pretty quickly end up in a messy spot, and you still won't be able to fix it. I'll link to the Rust by Example and Rust book sections on this because you can see just how hairy it gets if you try to solve things that way. As it turns out, the solution here is to use the box type and construct a, quote, boxed, unquote, version of the function. So, what is box? Well, box is a type that Rust has, which gives us a way to allocate an item on the heap instead of on the stack. Okay, you might be saying, how in the world does heap allocating it solve the problem? Or, depending on your background, you might be coming from a language like Ruby or Python, where you rarely, if ever, even have to think about the stack and the heap and where things are allocated. So... Let's talk a little bit about the stack and the heap. For starters, I'll link a really fantastic explanation on stack overflow in the show notes. And second, I'll note that if you're going to do any kind of low-level or systems programming, you are eventually going to need to get familiar with these issues because they can bite you at times. Here's a very brief overview. I'm going to summarize this to the best of my ability, but I will say right up front that this is an area where I need to get stronger, and a fair bit of my prep for this episode, a fair bit of my prep as I'm continuing to work on picking up rust, is in further familiarizing myself with these things. Now, I have dealt with them a fair bit before, and I'm comfortable enough with them. But there's comfortable enough to get by, and then there's actually getting this stuff, and I'm trying to move a bit more into that latter category. In any case, if I get a detail wrong along the way, please tell me. I'll happily add any such core agenda to the show notes. So, both the stack and the heap are allocated by the operating system, as you would expect, but they're different in nature, purpose, and behavior, The stack is what we call a last-in, first-out data structure, and if you've ever seen a stack trace in your debugging, whatever your language, you've seen a bit of how it works. Each function call essentially layers on top of the previous one. Whenever you call a function, the operating system allocates all the memory needed for the data in that function, all of its local variables and, of course, the function itself, onto the stack, And this works because the stack size, the amount of room required for a given function, can be known at compile time and therefore can be fixed for runtime calls. That's what it makes it possible to use as a stack for function calls. It is also the most significant limitation of the stack, though. While it is great that we can go through and look at all the variables that will be part of a given function call and say, oh, here's an array of given length, and there's an integer, and here's a string of given length, and so on, what happens if you get to a data structure whose size you don't know ahead of time? Or what if that structure needs to change in size over time? Well, of course, you can still handle this to some extent by allocating a pointer to the data structure when you create the stack. But you can't allocate the whole stack size in those cases. That, actually, is why C doesn't let you create dynamically-sized arrays. Arrays in C are stack-allocated, and the operating system has to know how much space to allocate when it creates that stack item. Those of you familiar with C will know the solution you have to allocate space dynamically, and dynamic space allocation happens on the heap. But of course, as you can also imagine, the heap is more than a little bit more complicated than the stack. The stack is just a simple block of memory that you allocate in order and you deallocate in order as you call functions and return from functions. The heap, though, entails not knowing ahead of time what size the allocations will have to be. After all, they might happen at runtime, and they might be different sizes at runtime if you're getting different input from a user, for example. But more than that, it also involves data that often isn't local to a given function. In C terms, you can call malloc or see alloc or any of the other things you might do there, then hand it back from that function and let it be the caller's responsibility to clean up after you. Well, that means that the memory can't just be allocated within a clean first in, last out, cleaned up structure. When you return, that memory needs to stay around somehow. That, in turn, means that you need to think about things like access control and making sure that those allocations and deallocations get handled correctly at the right times. One common example of a type in Rust, which is always heap-allocated, is its vector type. Vectors are like arrays, but they're dynamically growable. And because they're dynamically growable, they have to be heap-allocated. What about other types? Well, normally all values in Rust are allocated on the stack rather than the heap. Again, with the obvious exception of special always-on-the-heap types like vectors. And functions are just another value. After all, they're just one more type, and they're not one of these special types. So when we're dealing with types of the ordinary sort, including functions, we need a way to allocate them on the heap sometimes if we're going to pass them around. And this takes us back to our box type. Calling box's new struct method heap allocates items instead. We get a smart pointer that will be cleaned up nicely whenever it ends up going out of scope. Unlike memory dynamically allocated with malloc or calloc or something like that in C, boxed items know how to clean up after themselves. And the compiler therefore makes sure that when they go out of scope, any cleanup code does get called. Now, for many built-in types, this just happens behind the scenes. If you're defining a custom type, which has some complicated sort of initialization, especially if you have unsafe memory allocation going on in it, not common, but it is a thing that happens, then you can define how to clean up after yourself using the special drop method. Once a boxed item goes out of scope entirely, it becomes unavailable, just like anything else that goes out of scope. So you don't have to worry about calling free on normal objects in Rust, even when you heap allocate them. And this is great. It gives us a way to heap allocate items to dynamically get memory that we need while still cleaning up after ourselves. And this is not specific to Rust, of course. Plenty of other languages, including C++, do the same thing for many of their types. It does, however, give us the relevant information we need for heap allocating things in Rust. And that takes us back to talking about returning functions from other functions. We have some idea what's going on with the stack and the heap, and now we know how to heap allocate memory. As I said back at the beginning of the episode, the solution for returning functions from functions is simply to use the box new method. And again, we can do this because functions are still just another type in Rust. We can handle this case just like any other case where we need to heap allocate something. This is one of the many, many places where having functions that are first class members of your language comes in handy. It's worth noting, of course, that functions get allocated in memory somehow or another in all languages. The question is how obvious this becomes to you as a programmer. If you think about that call stack, you can see how functions are being allocated in the stack in c or c plus or python or wherever else and if we want to heap allocate things we have to be varying degrees of explicit about it in this case as in many cases in rust we have to be quite explicit about it indeed rust seems to have stolen python's explicit is better than implicit mantra and i like that for the record this does raise some questions though after all it's great that this solves our problem But why does heap allocating solve this lifetime problem, and, well, for that matter, why do we have to solve this lifetime problem here at all? After all, with many other types, we can simply create them and then return them from a function. For example, we don't have to create a boxed type to return a new integer from a function. What's special about functions? Well, functions are generic types, and, right now, the Rust compiler only supports returning concrete types. Generics aren't concrete. They can't be, because they have to be able to deal with just about anything that comes their way that meets the boundaries of that generic. And as an aside... This concrete type issue is actually true of generic types of arguments, too, including functions. The Rust compiler gets around that by going through and creating actual concrete types for all forms of a given generic function, which get called in a given program. This is a process called monomorphization, which is to say we take a polymorphic type a function, for example, which has many forms, and create monomorphic, single-form variants of that type so that we can cover all of our bases, as it were. We can't really do that with return functions for a variety of reasons, though, some of it having to do with lifetimes, and some of it having to do with the fact that the compiler may not know how that function is going to get used when you're returning it. So our first thought might be to return a reference instead. After all, references are concrete. And unfortunately, while that's a good instinct, references need lifetimes, because the compiler needs to know how long to hold on to the memory being referenced for that function. Again, we'll come back to lifetimes in the future when I have a better handle on them myself. For today, it is enough to know that for reference types, pointers, the Rust compiler needs to know how long to hold on to that reference, and lifetimes give us a way to do that explicitly when we need to, as we often do. And we can fight with this all day long. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, there are ways you might try to work through this. And again, both the code samples in today's show notes and the Rust book's discussion of the topic give you an idea of solutions you might try to take when dealing with lifetimes or things that way. At the end of the day, though, you can't win that fight. You cannot return a stack-allocated reference to a stack-allocated function. The compiler just won't let you do it. And for the record, this is a good thing. It is a consequence of the memory safety guarantees that Rust makes. It just makes certain cases, like this one, a bit more work. In any case, there is a solution to our problem we don't have to stack allocate the functions. We can use box new and heap allocate them instead, and then we have a smart pointer reference to the function. Conveniently, this solves both of our problems at the same time. As I said when discussing box new, these types get cleaned up automatically. Once they go out of scope, they get destroyed, so we don't need to worry about lifetimes anymore. That is, in fact, one of the great advantages to heap allocating data the way Rust does. Second, boxed types like this are quote-unquote smart pointers, and pointers are a kind of reference, and references are concrete types, so we can return them from functions. So that's it. You can return functions, plain old functions, methods, closures, functions, from other functions. You just have to heap allocate them explicitly using box new to do it, and now we have some idea of why. Now, there's still one really important part of closures we haven't talked about, and that's using the move keyword, and this has to do with ownership and environments. But we'll come back to that in the future when we talk more about ownership semantics. As usual, I have a bit more to get my head around before I try to talk about it with you. Next time, we're going to take a bit of a step back and up to a slightly easier and slightly higher level concern, and we'll talk about modules and packages also known as crates, and a little bit about API design. Why? Well, because I've been playing with some crates and some APIs in Rust, and some of them I like, and some of them not so much. How we structure our code matters, it turns out. Thanks to Chris Patty for sponsoring the show this month. If you have any interest in Python, I recommend you go take a listen to podcast.init, which is a podcast he co-hosts. They're interviewing tons of interesting people in the Python community, and I have very much enjoyed the episodes I've listened to. You can find show notes for this week's episode with detailed code samples illustrating these ideas, as well as links to other things I mentioned in the news section at the beginning, for example, at newrustation.com. You can also follow the show on Twitter or app.net at newrustation, or you can follow me on either of those at Chris Kreitcho. If you like the show, please rate and review it on iTunes to help others find it. And if you really like the show, I'd welcome your financial support. You can set up recurring donations at patreon.com slash newruststation, or you can set up one-off donations at Venmo, Dwala, or cash.me. Again, links to all of those in the show notes. Last but not least, I'd love to hear from you, whether on social media, in the thread for the show on the Rust user forum at users.rust-lang.org, or via email at hello at Until next time, happy coding.